0: Welcome to How to Build a Village. Francesco Clark is the founder and CEO of Clark's Botanicals, a beauty company that is powered by clean botanical ingredients like Jasmine. Now, Francesco, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast because I've been so impressed by your ability to turn a life-changing spinal cord injury into a global company that has helped so many people. And also, I'm inspired by the pivotal role that your family plays in your life and in the company. So, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's an honor to to speak with you today.
0: I loved reading Walking Papers, your book, and I would love to hear what is it that inspires you day to day? Obviously, you've got this very close family, and of course, your dad has been integral to the success of your company, but you're whole family seems to play a role. What is it that inspires you day to day and also has made your family so close over the years?
1: It's funny because I, you know, after surviving your death and having sustained a spinal cord injury, I was on life support for two weeks and I was told I would never breathe on my own or or speak again um, because my left vocal cord had become paralyzed. And the doctor said, you will never move your arms and forget about anything else. When people speak to you in such black and white terms, it does make you rethink, well, what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean for me to feel like myself again? And I certainly um, posed myself that question many times while I had all these different machines that were keeping me alive. And I would wake up at three in the morning with these horrible nightmares, completely alone. Mm. But one of the things that changed very quickly was either my brother or my sister or my mother or my father would be in the little cot in the same hospital room as me sleeping mm. right next to me. And so from the beginning, there was a sense of mm-hmm. you are not alone. And um, with that also came the sense of life must continue. And so my mother was adamant in making sure that my sister continued her graduate school studies and did not put anything on pause um, to care for me. And my brother continued working and my father Um, with his medical practice, but life had to continue Mm -hmm. for them, despite them caring for me during that time. And what that made me realize was Mm -hmm. that you have to have a sense of purpose and the sense of kind of calm and steadfast direction with this is what needs to get done. Um, we will work through it because we're a family and it's not, everything is does not fall on one person's shoulders. But because of that feeling, mm-hmm. I have been an eternal optimist. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a part of it that's in my DNA. Then there's another part of it that I've grown up in this environment where I know that I'm I'm inclined to be creative about finding solutions to otherwise impossible problems. Not, Not to sound like I'm bragging because it has nothing to do with me. It's more the way that I was raised because of the environment that I'm in. And so then after I left SUNY Stony Brook and I went to Mount Sinai in New York City, it was more about, well, what are you going to do next? And that's a question that I've always been asked because I've always pursued my own life path in a very independent kind of way. And that question being posed to me also made me realize that they didn't, they didn't recognize the fact that I had a disability. It was more about, well, what do you want to do next? And what do you want to do now? And what's exciting for you to do next? And so I have not been treated any differently um, before or after this seeming what you would think would be a life-changing event. And in many ways, it has changed, you know, certain aspects of my life. But I have not been treated differently.
0: And how has that informed your role? as a business leader.
1: It's interesting because you would think that when you're pitching your idea um and when I was pitching Clark's Botanical Skincare mm-hmm. to you know different editors and different store buyers that there would be a sense of oh you know they'll have pity and they might accept the story or the products um because they feel bad for something actually it was the opposite Mm -hmm. it was actually more like what do you know why are you here Mm -hmm. and what do you know about skincare and what do you why why are you starting a business and for me in fact it was such an organic part of rediscovering the strength of a human voice Mm -hmm. um rediscovering that sense of empowerment where for me, skincare allows for me to have the most important conversation to have um, on any given day is that conversation that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you're getting ready in the morning, after you shower, we have these things that I, I like to call mirror moments Mm -hmm. where you have three to five minutes and you're about to open the bathroom door and you're thinking about everything you have to get done for the day and for the week. And then you're thinking about the person that you need to be to get all that done and how you're going to get it done. And maybe you're listening to ABBA and singing (laughs) along. but, But I'm also applying smoothing marine cream or moisturizer as an example. And so just in having those three to five minutes routine in applying skincare in front of a mirror you're actually almost visualizing your your future and thinking about you're giving yourself a pep talk and it's that true moment of self-care and wellness beyond just that that kind of quick marketing speak where people just say oh it makes you look good and feel good but no it's more about Looking yourself in the eye and thinking about if every single human being has 24 hours in a day, then how do I want to live my life? And you're, in applying skincare, you're not hiding anything. You're not concealing anything. You're not adding color like makeup. You're truly showing the most beautiful part of you in the most transparent and natural way um, in treating your skin but you're also giving yourself the opportunity to really have that conversation and visualize who do I want to be? And what I love about Clark's Botanicals is that because I grew up in a household that is of traditional medicine, my father's a medical doctor, but also a homeopath. I think about the value in long lasting traditions but also Mm -hmm. empirical science. So you think about, apparently this became innovative when clean beauty became a thing. And when we launched Clark's Botanicals, I didn't realize that we had launched the first clean beauty skincare brand. Mm -hmm. But when I thought about it, it was just what do you, what do you want to do to have beautiful glowing skin so that you can connect with other people and, you look better tomorrow from using this product today and you will not use any ingredients that could be potentially harmful. In fact, we're using ingredients that complement and synergize with each other so that even if we're using a natural ingredient, acting more active than if you were to just make it yourself. And so there's a Mm. huge super, there's kind of like the ingredients become supercharged Mm. and that's the way that I want people to feel when they start to realize that after using even just a skincare product, after three weeks, you start to look a little bit better and then a little bit better. And while you're looking in the mirror, getting ready in the morning, you start to feel better and you start to realize that you can materialize some of the goals that you put in front of yourself. And then you start to feel like a super hero version of yourself. And ultimately, That's the sense of empowerment that I really want everybody to feel.
0: I think it's so powerful that you developed these products for yourself. It wasn't just some nameless consumer to make some money from it's that mm-hmm. you found them helpful and I, I love your stories about how like your your sister was like sneaking them because she wanted to use <laughs> them too it was like, yes. so so to your point that it wasn't like anyone was like oh let me let me give him a chance it was like no I like get me some of that because I want my skin to look like his you know not not that they you know just were, were doing you a favor it was just something it was like you were doing them a favor
1: You know, it's so interesting because I went through a very deep, dark depression for three years after my spinal cord injury, and it was a very natural reaction to surviving a trauma. And I also had survived near death, and surviving near death, um, you, you have this survivor's guilt that can arise, um, from that experience where you start to think about, well, why did I survive? Um, and what right do I have to have survived and somebody else might not have, um, in a similar situation. And I did think about the man in the ICU that was in the room next to me who, who passed away while I was there. Mm. Um, and so you think of the possibilities of, well, the other alternative could have happened. But then when you start to survive that experience, you also notice that it's not just you that goes through that trauma. It was also my, my family, my mother, my father, mm-hmm. my brother, my sister, my grandmother. And when I realized that, you feel this enormous sense of guilt and this enormous sense of what, what do I Need to do to make this better for them so they don't have to worry about me. And so, for three years, what I did was 10 to 12 hours of physical therapy and occupational therapy every single day without fail. And I thought that if I can just break it down to these axons in this specific part of my spine that need to be fixed. What is the one thing that I can do to fix that? And for me, that was, okay, I'm just going to focus on doing therapy, trying to wiggle my toes, trying to wiggle my fingers. And what I realized is I became robotic after um, three years of doing that. And I would shave my head bald every week because I did not want to be noticed. I didn't want people to see me because I felt like I had become, and this was very self-imposed, this was never said to me. I didn't want to be a worry. I didn't want to be a thought. Um, So I would wear the same T-shirt every day, same paper hospital pants every day, Mm. shave my head bald. If I was in a room with a lot of windows, I would not look at the reflection. I could never look in a mirror because all I would notice was a wheelchair and I would burst into tears. Ironically, I used to work in the fashion industry, Mm. and I couldn't care less about the way that I looked. But that's also one of the first signs of um, depression. Mm. And the day that that changed was when Christopher Reeve had suddenly passed away, Mm. and Superman Superman just left the room, Mm -hmm. you know? And one of the biggest advocates, not just for people with spinal cord injuries, but for people who felt like they didn't have a voice, had suddenly Mm. vanished um, in thin air. Mm. And I realized that day that I needed to take responsibility for my own life. Mm. And I needed to do more with my own life. And in fact, what did I want to do with my life? Mm. And why should somebody else have the right to to be successful and to follow their dreams and to take risks. And why shouldn't I have that right as well? And it was a very subtle shift in my thinking where the day felt a little bit cloudy. And then when I changed the way of thinking, I realized, oh, there's one beautiful cloud in the sky, but it's a beautiful sunny day actually. Mm. Um, And so I didn't think about the negative as much, but I shifted to, instead of saying, what can I not do? I thought of what are the, what are the exciting things that I can do going forward? Mm. And it's very tied to this sense of you're, I'm a dreamer. I'm I'm very creative, and when I'm in that kind of my, my kind of typical dreamer state, thank God that's the way that I am. Because if I were to be completely realistic, I would have stayed in that state of mind that I was in for three years and, and actually just said, I'm in a hospital bed. I can't get up in the middle of the night and get a glass of water. I can't even pick up a pen to write something. If you think about that brutal reality of certain situations, then you can get stuck. But instead, I broke out of that way of thinking and realized this is not who I am. And, And actually, getting to that lowest point made me realize this is absolutely not who I am. I obviously regained my sense of voice. I don't shut up now. Um, And I can breathe and I can move my arms. I can't use my fingers, um, but I can move my arms. And so I had been asked to be part of an advocacy group for the elderly and the disabled in New York. And so the meeting was the next day. And I said, you know what? I'm going to leave the house for the first time in three years. I'm going to go to this meeting But in order to go to the meeting, I cannot put on this same T-shirt I've been wearing for three years. Mm. And I said, mom, I need an actual shirt and real pants. And she said, oh, thank God he's leaving the house (laughs) finally. And it was really about wanting to be part of the conversation that goes on with other people and being part of the world again.
0: I love how you explain all this in. In the book, and I love the support you got from your family, but also from people like Madonna. I love the <laughs> role, role in your life, and your support. I mean, that must. And your book It's just so candid and honest. Was that hard to write and re relive it all, or was it cathartic? Mm.
1: So i i I used to work in magazines. I used to work at Condé Nast, and then I went to work at Harper's Bazaar, and my former editors at Condé Nast have written multiple books themselves. And when I used to come home from the hospital and doing physical therapy, I would write kind of the summary of my day. But there were often these ridiculous and funny stories. One day, um, the man who was driving me is a Eucharistic minister, and he sideswiped a car of nuns. And so we like, like there are all these crazy different stories that happened. One time my wheel, my front wheel broke in my wheelchair, and I was at this like very serious uh, like event. And I pretty much like almost fell down, but like people rushed to help and all, all these kind of different stories that would happen throughout the year. And so, in writing these emails to my close group of friends, They were always a little bit funny, but very real. Mm -hmm. Um, And every week I would send, you know, an email um, of the week because they would often ask, you know, about progress and what was going on and um, how I was feeling and they would get their own updates. And I remember after doing that for about six months, I skipped two weeks and people that I had never met before emailed me and said, where's the update? And I, I kind of was like, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. <laughs> and my former boss, Suzanne Cologne, she actually would come over every day and she had become a yoga teacher. And she taught me the three-part yoga breath. And she said, you know, your emails are about two pages long. And you could really flesh this out into a book. My first reaction was, I'm not a writer. And She kind of like joked, but was completely serious. She said, you know, you are, you just write. It's not like you have to have a degree in something in order to be a writer. Just write, just keep writing. And I realized that she was correct. And when I said, I'm not a writer, it was more of, hiding behind that veil of, of saying, I don't want people to criticize the way that I write or the way that I speak or the way that I... And so it was more of, oh no, but that's not, I'm not, I'm not that type of person. So I shouldn't do that part. And it was just an excuse. And so then one day I said, you know what? I'm just going to write two, two pages a day for fun because I was relearning how to type on the computer anyway. I was hunting and pecking um, using these splinting splinting devices that I use. And I would just, I would commit to doing something that could take as little as an hour, but if it took a long time, maybe two and a half hours. So two pages a day at the end of the week, it adds up very quickly to 14 pages. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it I I cut out But then one day I sent it over to a book agent in New York, Carol Mann, and she emailed me back the same day and said, I would love to meet with you. And the next thing that I know, I'm in her office and work with Clark's Botanicals started to also get busy at the same time. Mm -hmm. So as we were getting attention in magazines about the creams. Suddenly, there was a bidding war on the transcript mm-hmm. to make this into a memoir, and mm. I was at dinner with my best friends from from work that I used to work with before I became paralyzed, and my phone just kept ringing. Mm. Um, and I said, "I'm sorry, I just I have to step outside." And I feel like something bad happened. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, Carol was on the phone, and she said, "You won't believe this, but we have." Hachette, Little Brown Book, Little Brown Book. And um, oh, gosh, there was another one, another big publishing house that they were bidding on the transcript for the memoir. And then uh, I was sitting there, my mouth, just my jaw dropped open. And I thought, I can't believe that I fooled them into thinking that I I can be coherent and write something. And so then um, I signed the deal with Hachette, which they gave me six to 10 months to finish writing it because I I was about 60% finished with the transcript. And so I had some months to finish, but it meant that I had to really stick to that two two pages a day rule. And in the beginning, it was difficult. I had a complete writer's block when I had to write about the experience Mm -hmm. from my family's point of view. Mm. And I remember there was one day my mom came in and my sister came into my my bedroom. It was the old sunroom where we put my hospital bed. And I would just be I was just there awake at two in the morning. And my parents had come home late from work that night, and my sister was studying, doing our graduate studies. And so my mom noticed that I was awake. She came in, and so did my sister. And I said, I am having trouble writing because I'm afraid of saying something that might that you might be embarrassed about or that you might be squeamish about. And the both of them said the same thing. They said, no, this is actually a way to help so many other people that are going through a similar experience have a sense of understanding and a sense of, not that there's any sense of normalcy to anything that happened, to understand that we're all human beings and that we all have our own experiences and in, in writing this in the, in an authentic way, then you help others to reconnect with that. And so as soon as they gave me that, that blessing, I jumped back on the horse and I, I wrote the rest of the book without, you know, without any hiccups.
0: Hmm. And have, there, have there been any books that you've read along the way, over the past several years that have helped you on your journey that you found inspiring?
1: A Brief History in Time, Stephen Hawking, I find to be my number one book, along with, you know, I've always loved Aldous Huxley um, and Brave New World, but A Brief History in Time um, and, and Stephen Hawking and how he can teach you about the universe, literally about the universe Mm -hmm. and um, how black holes are formed. And then somehow insert anecdotes about his life and about his experiences with Lou Gehrig's disease Mm -hmm. and how at the same time he'll, he'll put little things that are kind of sprinkled throughout his narrative. And you don't even think twice about it, but then he teaches you these most the most complicated things that you could possibly learn in such a way that anybody can understand it, which really goes to show you how well he understood um, his subject and how well he was kind of in tune with, communicating he couldn't speak Mm -hmm. he couldn't it's it's insane to think about how well he would communicate without being able to to speak at all or move anything at all and that was not ironically that wasn't even the part that kind of left me speechless it was more the part of how well he could um, explain the most complicated scientific theories in a way that anybody could understand them,
0: oh wow. I will have to read that. It is um come across it, but never read read the whole thing. So thank you for the, mm-hmm. the tip. And, <laughs> and what what is next for Clark's Botanicals?
1: It's funny because now that we're in a more post covid relaxed, becoming more normal state of being, we are going back in store back in brick and mortar. And I absolutely love it because I go twice a week right now, as an example to Saks Fifth Avenue in Greenwich, Connecticut. And mm-hmm. I, I literally go there all day and I speak with all of these different customers that are coming back in store And there's this yearning for human connection Mm. again. And there's this yearning for very much this parallel path to why I started Clark's Botanicals, where I wanted to feel like a person again. I wanted to go out and meet other people again. And I wanted to be more social again. And so when I went back in store and seeing other people and, and meeting other people again in store, there's this collective consciousness of how everybody is yearning for that and how everybody is wanting to not just stay within their four walls and exist, but to, to feel, have more of this collective kind of experience with each other. So We just launched SAC um, in Brick and Mortar. We're in Goop um, Brick and Mortar now. And as a brand, I'm happy to also be the freelancer that goes in store and meets with people and speaks to our ingredients and our brand story because that's why I did it. Mm. And so I I love that intentional, focused, kind of back-to-basics way of how Clark's Botanical started is ironically what's propelling us to scale to our next level of growth right now.
0: Well, that is so exciting. Well, thank you for sharing <laughs> your story. and it's it's great that great that everyone's connecting in person again. I think we're all ready for it,
1: oh, yes, yes,
0: well, I really appreciate your your time and your honesty. and um I look forward to meeting in person one day. <laughs>
1: I would love that, Joe.
0: <laughs> well, take care and um, keep me posted on everything.
1: I will.